Well, good morning again. Good morning again. It is not too bad in here, I don't think. I'm, I'm kind of digging the chilly temperature. I got so tired of being hot and sticky all summer. That is life in Missouri, but I'm done. I'm done with it, so this is good. So listen, um, I've talked several times before about some of my experiences growing up in church. And so some of you have heard a little bit of this before, but it's, it's pertinent today. So I'm just going to hit a couple of points that I want to make. So um, I, I've had, I've had a, a diverse experience with church throughout my life. Uh, grew up Catholic until I was about 12 years old. Uh, we wandered, wandered through several different Pentecostal and charismatic denominations and visited some, you know, kind of straight-laced evangelical churches kind of in there in the middle somewhere. So I, I've pretty much been to any flavor of church that you can imagine. Multiple traditions, lots of different styles. And for the most part, I consider that to be a really positive experience that I had. There was benefit to that. Um, it helps me as a human being to just appreciate like the richness and, and the wonder uh, that is the diversity of the body of Christ, right? I'm able to, so some people are, are, are kind of negative about denominations. You know, like, why do we have so many denominations? Nobody can get along. Nobody can agree on everything. And, you know, some of that, you know, there's, there's validity to that, that question. Why can't we get along? Why can't we work together? But I think in part because of the experience that I had where I've, I've, I've been in all of these multiple contexts, I, I can appreciate that it's, it's not a bad thing, I don't think. Just like we say that we as individuals here, we're trying to follow Jesus everywhere and everybody has their own everywhere. You know people that I'm never going to meet. You have influence over people that you know, wouldn't, wouldn't give two licks what I had to say. And I think it, it's a lot that way with churches as well. Each different style, each different flavor, each different denomination, they have a unique context, a unique calling, a way that they can reach a particular group of people that that they kind of gel with. And I, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Helps us be more effective as the body of Christ in general, that there's lots of different expressions. Um, but, but another part of my experience that we have to be honest about, I have to be honest about, is that I, I often had this kind of nagging sense of dissatisfaction wherever I went, wherever I went, that, that feeling of being kind of the square peg in the round hole. Every place that I was, I found wonderful, beautiful things about that particular stream, that particular expression, but also some things that that just felt dissonant to me. They didn't, didn't quite feel like that was what fit. And sometimes, in some cases, that was very much so. So the denomination that I was a part of uh, during my high school years and the one that Vince and I kind of stuck with during our early years of marriage, um, that one felt more like home than any of the previous ones had. And so that was, I had a pretty long a long stint with that, this particular denomination. And I, I, you know, I won't say which one because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. But um, there were some things that, that I struggled with. And when I was trying to think of an example 
I, I felt like I wanted to tell you guys about this youth leader that I had, and that would have been starting in my um, senior year of high school that I met this woman. This woman was an amazing woman of God. She was, I mean, hands down and still to this day, I would say the kindest person I have ever met in my life. She served everyone. She was a true servant-hearted person. She picked up all of the stray teenagers like me and drove us all over God's green earth to every youth event that there was and to camp and, you know, what, whatever was going on. You know, she had a big old, one of those conversion vans from like, like an A-team van from the 80s and she would just load us up like three kids deep and, and she was amazing. She cooked casseroles for all the people that were sick, you know. It, even if there were 12 of them in one week, everybody was getting a lasagna, you know. And she cleaned the church, even though she worked full-time. She was the one that came and cleaned, like, the entire building. She counseled people that were hurting. She prayed for everybody. She was amazing. She was humble. She was gentle. She knew the Bible backwards and forwards, just like somebody who had gone to seminary. You know, she would spend hours studying God's word and really, really tried to communicate it in a way that was effective to, you know, again, stray teenagers like myself. And her and her husband didn't have two nickels to rub together, but she would give her last cent to anybody who was struggling. She was a saint if I ever saw one. But the theology of this particular denomination... um, they had kind of a rigid framework around the subject of the Holy Spirit. And so they believed that every Christian should, at some point, experience um, a distinct baptism or infilling of the Holy Spirit that was supposed to be separate from conversion, and that the evidence of this experience, you know, if this had, had really happened to you, you would pray in tongues. That gives it away for some of you that... You know, you you have a a theological um, understanding of denominations. But so this woman had never spoken in tongues. She had never spoken out loud in tongues. She'd been following Jesus for, you know, two-thirds of her life or something like that. And so what I saw were people in our faith community treating her like she was some kind of a failure because she had not had this particular experience. They treated her poorly and, and kind of condescended to her and talked down to her because she wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, never mind that she displayed more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit than any human being I've ever seen. Never mind that, you know, peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things were evident in her life by the bucketful. But somehow, she wasn't good enough. And observing that dynamic, that had a profound effect on me. A profound effect on me. It, It bothered me so, so very much. And there were, there were other things like, um, when I was a senior in high school, 
I was planning to go into full-time pastoral ministry. I was already taking classes. You know, I, we can debate the, the wisdom of this, but as a 17-year-old, I was invited to fill in when some of the little country church pastors were on vacation. And so I preached at the little, the little churches around our area. And I was treated as a person who had a, a bright future in the denomination. And that, that changed when I met my husband uh, because um, I'm not Vince's first wife. You know, he's been married before and divorced. And so because of that experience and because of that choice that I made in my life, all of that encouragement, that mentoring, that, the way that people were postured toward me, um, in a lot of cases, with a lot of people, it just, just switched off just like a light switch. And that was a pretty painful experience for me. But we still stuck with that denomination for a few years because it, it, it felt like, you know, this is familiar. This is, this is what we know. This is what we, we understand. This is where we're going to fit the best we're ever going to fit. So we might as well just make the best of it. We had no idea. We had no idea that we were going to discover something amazing just a couple years later. So we, uh, we moved to Rolla in the year of 2000 when Vince um, was discharged from the military. And we basically picked Rolla off the map because we had family nearby, but we didn't want to live in the small towns where they, where they were living. We wanted something a little bit bigger. So we picked Rolla off the map. And when we got here, we felt a little bit scandalous because we didn't just go straight to our familiar denomination. We said, mm, no one will know. No one will know if we just go visit. You know, we can check out some other, some other spots. And so Vineyard was the second church that we visited back in 2000. And we've been here ever since. We've been here ever since. So there's an experience that lots of people describe throughout the history of our movement and, and it's this sense of kind of when you, when you discover the vineyard, it's kind of like a homecoming. The saying is, vineyard isn't something you become. It's something that you find out you always were. And that was very much our experience. That is very much what happened to us. When we walked in the back, it wasn't this building. We were where CLC is now is where, where we were meeting at the time. And we walked in and, you know, we found a seat in the back row and we, we heard the music we heard that first day that the songs that were being sung were, were to God and not about God, and that had a profound effect on us. We, we heard the, the, the rich theology that was in the worship music, the style, the atmosphere of reverence for God, but in that, in that musical style that makes that accessible for everybody. And the passion that people had as they worshiped was just, it was contagious, and then we heard the message delivered in this style that was, that was so natural and it was, it was such effective communication, the way that the message was delivered, the content of the message. And then as the weeks went by and, and our pastor at the time was so patient with me, you know, I'm a, I'm a bookworm kind of a person, so I, you know, I'm the one that went straight to, you know, let's talk about theology. Do you have any books that I can read? And he did. And he was wonderful and he answered all my questions. And the more I learned about 
the theology of the kingdom of God and, and the way that the vineyard makes space for the tensions of our faith and the mysteries of what it means to live in his kingdom, oh, we just knew, like, we are home. We have found our people. This is where we belong. It's, it's, we're square pegs, but we found all the other square pegs, and we're all in the pegboard where we go. Oh, my goodness. I, I, still, I still get emotional when I think about it, because over the years, my appreciation for the movement of the vineyard, who we try to be as a people, the things that are important to us, my, my appreciation has only grown richer and stronger and deeper. And so that's why I'm really excited to take some time for this new sermon series because I want every person that calls Vineyard Rolla home, I want you guys to know. I want you to know who we are. I want you to know about our, our history. We have an amazing history. I want you to understand our values and the way that we do things and how amazing that is. If you're going to throw your lot in with a lot of us, we should probably spend a little bit of time talking about what exactly is the vineyard. What is the vineyard? So the vineyard is, we, we, don't, we don't refer to ourselves as a denomination. We refer to ourselves as a movement. So sometimes people will say the vineyard, that's a non-denominational church. Well, that's not exactly the right framework. It's not. We are connected to a national and an international family of churches. There are roughly 2,400 and counting congregations all over the world of vineyard churches. And I say and counting because we are a church planting movement. And so it's, it's to be missional, to be replicated, to be multiplied, to be not, not reaching out to those who are already churched, but planting new churches in spots where there are people who have not yet experienced the love of God. And so that's a big part of who we are. Um, 95 countries around the world. Um, we are in the United States an association of churches. We're organized around a set of values, and we're organized around the leadership of a national director. Phil Strout is a wonderful individual who has, has given some amazing leadership to the movement in the last, oh gosh, I don't know how long it's been, maybe 10 years or so since he took over. Um, and we have an executive board. We're divided into regions. There are 36 vineyard churches in our Midwest-South region of the country. And that's, um, I have to look so that I don't miss one. Um, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska, and then, of course, us in Missouri. So we are connected as a family on that regional level and then further divided into areas. So there's, there's four vineyard churches here in Missouri and, and I have the opportunity to regularly gather together with those other pastors just for the sake of, of relationship. Now, Vineyard values the autonomy of the local church. Okay, so a lot of denominations are very top-down. The people that are, you know, at the top of the pyramid, they're the ones that make the decisions about everything that's going to happen down here. But that's not the way that the Vineyard is organized. Um, since we're organized around a set of values, what that means is that we can make decisions here for ourselves about oh, our leadership structure and the way we're going to be governed and the style with which we're going to lead, uh, our worship services. We have complete freedom to 
make choices about, again, the style and the way that we organize that. Nobody comes and says, you know, you have to do one song announcements, three songs, and then the sermon. It's not like that. Uh, We get to make decisions about the things we as a congregation want to kind of lend our energy to when we gather together as a group, as a community on mission. What are we going to focus on? Nobody says it has to be, you know, this mission outreach or this, you know, local food bank or whatever. We, We as a people here in this building, we find out what we're passionate about and that's what we together gather and go after. We have a lot of freedom there. Um, now, as part of, the local, or part of the larger movement, we are very intentional about making sure that all of the decisions that we make are informed by our core values that we've agreed to organize around and our distinctives and, the, and the, who we want to be as a people. We, we're, we make choices based on those. But we have lots of freedom to to be the unique expression of the body of Christ in our community, in our context. And that's a beautiful thing. At the end of the day, what holds the vineyard movement together is not a hierarchy. It's relationships. We are a movement of people who choose to be together based on our shared history and our shared values and our shared distinctives. Vineyard history, so some of you know a little bit about this, and some of you could care less about this, but I get such a kick out of the fascinating and rich history that the vineyard movement has, okay? Now, I'm just going to hit a few of the highlights this morning because I just don't have time for all of the incredible stories and all of the incredible, the timeline of the whole thing. I want you guys to notice that in your grape, we included a couple of book recommendations that kind of chronicle the history of the beginning of the movement. So if that's something, if you're kind of a book book person like me and you get a kick out of that, I'd encourage you to read some of that stuff because it's amazing. It's very encouraging. Um, And you can also uh, find some articles on the vineyardusa.org website. And then there's lots and lots of videos of John Wimber on YouTube that you can watch. So who is John Wimber? Who who is John Wimber? John Wimber is considered to be the founder of the vineyard movement. Now, he died in 1997, but not before he had completely changed the face of Christianity and the United States. So the vineyard story, it kind of starts out in the 1960s. Uh, Most of you know that the 60s in America, that was a time of, um, shall we say, significant cultural and social change, right? Is that a good way to say that? People turned away from a variety of the established norms of society and the organized structures, including church. They were searching for something, and they they were using a variety of creative ways to find that something. And some, some ways were helpful, and some ways were for sure not very helpful. Lifestyles without a lot of restraint were kind of a part of that framework and that time of experimentation. Um, 1969, Life Magazine said it this way, the counterculture has its sacraments in sex, drugs, and rock. 
That's where we get that phrase, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was, that was the 1960s. And that was the lifestyle that John Wimber very much embraced at that time in his life. He was a musician. He was a singer and a songwriter for the group, The Righteous Brothers. You guys know that group? You've lost that love and feeling. You know that one? Yeah. John Wimber was a part of that, part of that musical group. Um, he drank heavily. He used a lot of drugs. He just embraced that rock and roll lifestyle. But he knew that his life was a mess. And he knew that he was a mess. And so at, at some point during that, during that time in his life, he had a, an amazing, supernatural, radical encounter with Jesus. Changed him completely. Transformed everything about who he was. And, and he wasn't the only one that that was happening to at that time. Um, the Jesus People Movement, that was kind of a, a hippie revival that was happening out in California. And, and thousands of young people were coming to the conclusion that the something that they were looking for was Jesus. And they too had radical encounters, supernatural encounters with the transformative love of God. But here's the thing. Where could barefoot hippie surfers go to church? Where was there a place for them? Where could a guy like John Wimber go? A guy like John Wimber, who Christianity Today called a beer-guzzling, drug-abusing pop musician who was converted at the age of 29 while chain-smoking his way through a Quaker-led Bible study. Where could that guy go to church? Because church still looked like the 50s, right? So that was a real challenge. And then beyond that, when John Wimber did go to church, there there was a big disconnect for him between what he read in the Bible, what he saw lived out in the life of Jesus, and what he found when he went to church. And I'm going to share one of my very favorite videos in the whole wide world with you guys. Just real quick. Take a look at this. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I like it when he multiplied the bread. Do you like that one? Huh? How about it? Do you like that? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, hmm, you know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There's not many guys doing that come forth thing. You know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I liked all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people. And I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? I thought you, that people gathered at the church had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few, cast out a few demons, and won a few people to Christ before lunch. 
And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now, that's pathetic. <laughs> Isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it. We sang about it. We preached about it. We prayed over it. We gave to it. But we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. Didn't he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book and acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. <laughs> We're qualified. And we understand that it can be done. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good. Doing the stuff, that's part of who we are as the vineyard. But back in the day when John Wimber encountered the resistance to the idea that we could actually, as Jesus said, do the works that he has done and greater... I mean, that's what scripture says, isn't it? And when everybody, you know, tried to discourage that, instead, you know, most people, we just sort of like I did in that denomination I was part of. You kind of resign yourself to the status quo and you say, well, this is just the way it is. And so we'll learn how to, you know, be happy and operate in that framework. But John Wimber dared to explore the idea of doing something differently he dared to let the voice of the Holy Spirit be louder than the voice of, that's the way it is. This is the way we've always done it. And as he connected with like-minded people who were also tired of the heavy burden of religiosity without much power in it, as he found those other people, as he shared the good news with hundreds, thousands of people that were unchurched, leading them into transformative relationships with Jesus Christ, he gathered the beginnings of what we now know as the Vineyard Movement, a group of people that were desperate for real encounters with God, that wanted to embrace the simplicity of loving Jesus and loving other people, the simplicity of that. People who wanted to find healing for the things that they were struggling with, for the things that caused them pain in their lives and their hearts. A group of people that were hungry for God's presence. 
and that had a passion to see his kingdom break into our reality in the here and now of our lives. This is our legacy. This is who we are as a people. The early vineyard churches were populated by a super diverse group of people. Some of them came from established denominations. They were leaders that were burned out and burned up. Some were new believers who had zero experience of church at all. And everything in between that you can imagine. So one of the most incredible things about what John Wimber shaped back in the day is that he determined early on that the vineyard would have a commitment to keeping the main things the plain things and the plain things the main things. I absolutely love this about our movement. I love this about who we are because that's who I want to be as a person. Do you know what I mean? Like, are you doing the very best that you know how to follow Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Yeah, yeah, great. That's great. You're doing the very best you know how to figure out what it means to follow him, what it means to live for him. Is that true? Would we all not? Yeah, great. That's great. Is there a way that we could work together to make that more of a reality in our everyday lives? Can we do that? Is there a way we can work together around some of those values that we have? Yeah. So great. That's good. We don't have to agree on every fine point of theology for us to be able to be in community together and accomplish great things for the kingdom. We can pick the things that are the most important and we can operate out of that framework. I cannot tell you how refreshing that was to me when I first found the vineyard. Just, I mean, just like a cold drink of water or a breath of fresh air. So refreshing. Because I had experienced the opposite, you know? Like my friend that I talked about, my, my youth leader in the beginning of the sermon. Or, you know, people... For instance, when I was baptized, there was, there was um, a group of people that... Uh, and I don't understand this at all at all. One group of people thought that you have to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit... And then over here are a group of people that hate those people because, no, you just, when you water baptize someone, you just do it in the name of Jesus. And if you don't do it right, everybody's going to hell and, oh, my goodness, forever. Like, that's exhausting. That is exhausting. How much pressure is it to have to think that we have to figure every single little thing out with complete certainty? Seriously. And that we have to police everybody else. That's exhausting. That's exhausting. It's so wonderful. It is so wonderful to be a part of a movement that makes space for good people to come to different conclusions and for all of us to embrace the questions and the mystery of faith and to understand that none of us are going to figure all of this out with complete certainty. We're worshiping a God who defies definition. 
That's also what allows us to love the whole church, you know, capital C. Why, why we value praying for other churches? Because John Wimber was, was adamant in the beginning of our movement that vineyard is just one expression of God's kingdom in this world and not necessarily even the best one, just different, just different. Like I talked about before, we have a, a way of doing things We have a particular calling. We have an identity that we believe God has called us to. And we are responsible to be faithful to that. That's what we're responsible for. But so it is with the Methodists across the street, right? And the Presbyterians and the Baptists. And so on. John Wimber was fond of saying that churches are like buses. And they're all traveling, like, I'm, like Greyhound buses, right? They're all traveling to the same destination. They're going to end up at the same depot on the other side of the country or whatever. Each one may have a different driver, and they might have chosen a different route to get there. But we're all going to end up in St. Louis. It doesn't matter if we, like, just straight up 44 or if we wandered around on the back roads to get there. We're all going to end up in the same place. So the vineyard has chosen a set of values around which we're united and we refer to those as our core values and that's kind of like our bus route. That's our bus route. We are a people of the kingdom of God. A people of the kingdom of God. Next week's message is going to discuss uh, the theology of the kingdom of God which is vital to understanding who vineyard is as a movement because Everything else that we do is informed by our understanding of what that means to live in the kingdom. So every core value that we have is prefaced by that line. We are a people of the kingdom of God who... We partner with the Holy Spirit. We experience and worship God. We reconcile people with God and all creation. We engage in compassionate ministry And we pursue culturally relevant mission in the world. We included a little half sheet handout in your information packet this morning that listed these out. You can visit our website or the National Vineyard website for for just a little bit more reading on that. We did a sermon series last fall on those five specific concepts. If you're here, you will remember that. But these five things, these are our anchors. They're like, if you picture pegs, they're the pegs on which everything else hangs. That's our core values. Some of the things that hang from these distinct core, value, from these core values are what we refer to as the vineyard distinctives. These things are a little bit more broad than, or a little bit more specific than our broad core values. Uh, But these distinctives that are often expressed in some of these catchphrases that John Wimber was so good at using, like doing the stuff, these are concepts that are an important part of the culture of the vineyard movement. Things like the now and the not yet. Come Holy Spirit. The phrase naturally supernatural. Or you may hear us say things like everybody gets to play. It's some of these distinctives that we'll be focusing on over the next several weeks as we walk through together 
some of, the, some of what it looks like, what it means to be a part of this vineyard tribe, this amazing, fantastic, wonderful vineyard tribe. Sometimes people ask, we get a lot of questions, a lot of, um, you know, the name seems kind of strange to people. Have you ever experienced that? that you, somebody says, oh, where do you go to church? I go to the vineyard. Like St. James Vineyard? Like, what, what do you mean? Yeah, I don't know. The vineyard. Where does the name come from for the vineyard? The inspiration for the name originally, it comes from a passage in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 27, verses 2 and 3. And this is God speaking. It says, In that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. I love that passage. I love the imagery of those scriptures. I love the feeling that it gives me when I think about God as gardener, as caretaker, looking over our field, looking over our vineyard, knowing what the soil needs, knowing what what kind of water needs to be given, knowing what needs to be pruned. Sometimes that's a part of it as well. But God watches over us. He knows what we need to grow strong and to thrive and to bear much fruit for his kingdom in our world. It's a fruitful vineyard. I love the picture of God singing over it. Singing over us as a movement. I wonder what he sings. I wonder what is the song that he sings over the vineyard. We know that he does. The Lord sings over his vineyard. But did you know this morning? Did you know that the Lord sings over you as well? Talked a lot today about us as a people, as a group, as a tribe, the collective us. But it's absolutely true. That one of our values at Vineyard is to, to, to express to each person that we come into con- in contact with that God loves you. You individually. And he sings over you. There's a passage in Zephaniah, one of those obscure Old Testament minor prophets. Um, chapter 3, verse 17, another beautiful verse. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Listen, do you ever wonder how God feels about you? He will take great delight in you. And in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. God sings over you. God delights in you. Yes, the person next to you. Yes, the person across the aisle. But specifically, each one of you. And I don't know. I don't know what God sings over us either. For sure. For certain. Because remember, we embrace the mystery. 
You know, I was, I was praying this morning about the message and, you know, just what God would want to say. And, and this may seem like the very silliest thing you've ever heard, but here's, here's what I felt like God said. I said, God, what, what do you sing over each person that's here in this place with us this morning? And I, I feel like, I mean, I, I heard the song, You Are My Sunshine, just kind of danced through my head. And I love, I love, I love, I love to be a part of a congregation where I can, I can look you in the eye and I can say that is the most important thing that is true this morning. No matter what else is true, this is the most important thing that is true, that God loves you. God delights in you. You are his sunshine. 